0: I used to be the one who almost felt like passing out when I had to do public speaking. I had one of my talks that was so bad in university. I had to hold a piece of paper. And there's nothing worse than holding a piece of paper when you're nervous and you need to talk because that thing makes noise. And it starts shaking. And then you're hearing it. And the more you're hearing it, the more you're nervous and the louder it gets. And everybody's watching you cringing at the sight of you just being there, breaking into pieces. And that was me. the selling with love podcast. Now, today's episode, I'm not bringing a guest on. I had an interesting event happen. And sometimes when an interesting event happens, you need to make the most of that situation. I had two guests that were supposed to come for one of these workshops I do for Mind Valley members. These are workshops that are in the theme of entrepreneurial knowledge that they can apply in their business. And 15 minutes before they were supposed to come on the show, I get a notice that they cannot make it to the call. Now we had thousands of people register for this session and I was like, wow, I do not like wasting time, especially for the people that are dedicated to show up on time and ready to learn about how to communicate effectively. And so instead of, you know, being prepared to show up on the call and telling everybody, sorry, we're canceling the class. I thought, hey, I think I know a thing or two about communication. And so what happened next is I decided to spend some time to really go deep into taking some of the concepts that I had studied from their book of these guests that were coming on and being able to add my own layer of understanding. And I pulled from some of the greatest minds that I've had a chance to study as well. And we go through the concepts of ways to communicate effectively. And what ended up was one of the most magical classes I could do with the people that were on the call. And so for today, you will get to experience this session yourself and if ever you want to be a part of the members of mind valley who actually get to study material and come on these sessions live with me every week i'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can find out how you can become a member yourself because there is a way to get started with a free trial and you'll see all the details are going to be provided in that link below and for now you're going to get a taste of what it's like when a guest doesn't show up and i have 15 minutes to prepare And I'll tell you right now, you're going to learn a ton about how to communicate more effectively, whether it's in a one-to-one presentation, on a stage, in a meeting, regardless of the situation, you will be more prepared. Enjoy. Today is going to be a weird episode because... I got a notice 15 minutes ago that the two guests cannot make it. And I said, you know what? I still want to be able to deliver great content because I got pumped. I got excited to deliver a message. I was excited to be able to communicate effectively with anyone, anywhere. And I'm sure that you were coming here and excited to learn the same. And I'm like, why should I deprive you or deprive myself from learning when we're all motivated and ready to do so? So I was thinking, hey, why don't we learn together? I've already understood distilled some of the biggest lessons that come from the book that they've wrote and i have much love for them but if they couldn't be here on time and i got a 15 minute notice i thought what kind of lesson would i be able to distill and maybe i know a thing or two about communication i've been doing over 200 podcasts i've been interacting with all of you and so hey we're not going to reschedule we're going to make this happen and i just want to know do you guys think that's a good idea and i'd be also curious do you think you're going to be learning more or less if i'm going into a monologue As you can tell right now, I have a bit of enthusiasm. I'm a little bit of excited, but I'd love to get some support from you. And I know you are all amazing people into the chat. So if you're excited, just let me know. Just type it in the chat. Just tell me you're excited. And maybe the more excited you are, the more excited I'll be, and the more you'll get to learn, and the more that we'll be able to have some fun together. And I'll tell you even this, one of the most important things within the book is they put together a a image. And in this image, they actually show you how to structure any presentation. So you can start strong, finish strong and support in the middle. And I actually found that image and I'm going to share it with everybody here. It's a public image. So it's not like I'm stealing anything, but I still was able to find it. And then from there, we're going to be able to go deeper into it. And so for those of you who are showing the excitement, I'm feeling your energy right now, and I'm ready to teach And so for that, we're going to talk about how to communicate effectively with anyone, anywhere now. The guests themselves, I'm going to read a bit of their bio because I do want to pay a bit of honors to the inspiration for today's call. So, we had Dan Bullock as well as Raul Sanchez. They're both professors at NYU. If we look at Dan Bullock, he was actually a faculty instructor teaching public relations, marketing, business intelligence within NYU division programs in business, right? But he also specialized in English second language in both academic and professional contexts. So, a lot of cross cultural engagements was there. And this is a big part of what they were teaching. And in Raul himself, he was actually an award-winning journalist in creative writing who was a full-time faculty member there and the Division of Languages and Humanities. And he's delivered many corporate trainings at big companies like Deloitte, even at the United Nations. Now, they've put this book together, which is how to communicate effectively with anyone, anywhere. And so I did what I do best, which is go and do some research and maybe go ahead and like put together something that I know will leave you with some value that you can take away from home and be thinking, damn, this was a great take of my time. And I feel like we're going to be able to go through it in flying record time. And this is going to be covering their concepts, but I'm going to hold back on some of the things that I know within communications, because I've taken plenty of public speaking workshops. I've practiced this on stages virtually and in person and Mm -hmm. one-to-one sales interactions as well. So possibly there's gonna be some questions you have and I will feel competent and qualified to answer them. So remember, do use the Q&A box because this will be a fun time that I can bring you on. I got my hour booked. And so if I'm gonna teach you for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, we're gonna use that rest of the time to see if there's some further clarifying questions and make sure that we answer every one of your questions. And so we're going to cover some ancient wisdom around communication that is still relevant today. We're going all the way to Aristotle. I'm going to talk about what is the mindset you can have that will take away the anxiety and make you deliver your communications way, way better. We're going to talk about the two pillars that are very important whenever you do Do a presentation. We'll learn about the funnel, an hourglass technique that actually allows you to structure it. And I'm using it a bit right now, so you'll probably notice it. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit on the cross-cultural importances that happen in communication. And there's a very big feature that is different between Eastern and Western countries when it comes to the cultural delivery. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that as well. And so first thing I wanted to bring up is over 2000 years ago, Aristotle, one of that famous philosopher, was actually a great orator and he spoke a lot about communication. He actually developed three words that were really key to how communication is received. Because I don't know if any of you remember this. I have this vivid memory in high school where I remember I would be, well, I'll be honest. When I was in high school, I was a little chubby and I was not that cool. So I was not one of those popular kids. And maybe that's why I tried to learn how to communicate amazingly so I could overcompensate for the shyness and all that stuff I had in high school. But I remember paying attention to something that was really, really weird. I noticed that I could tell a certain joke and people didn't really care about it. And then people wouldn't laugh. And I could see someone in a different setting saying the exact same joke. And everyone thought they were hilarious. And that's when I started realizing that, why does that happen? I started asking questions and I started studying. Why is it that people react differently depending on who communicates the message? And sometimes I would go into presentations And i've done this many times actually particularly when i started uh, at mind valley i was running a division called zentrepreneur which was all about entrepreneurial skills and development especially related to marketing and growing online businesses and i remember presenting presentations where i had all the data it was like step by step and i had these slides filled with information and i was like this is going to be the best presentation ever i'm holding nothing back i'm giving them all the content And everyone's going to be so grateful and be amazed by how amazing I was at delivering it. And then I would teach everything and people would be like, wow, that's so dry. They didn't understand. It didn't remember. And people felt overwhelmed. And I was like, what the hell? How come people aren't getting it? This is like the most I've ever given. And so things didn't seem to make sense. I was like, why can't I just take the facts, present the facts, and then people are just all accepting and they're going to learn and they're going to appreciate. And I realized, no, there is more to it. And Aristotle is the one that built a foundation. We're using three words that I don't know if any of you have heard of. I've heard of this model before, but I know it's being emphasized in this book. Does anybody know the words and the three pillars when it comes to doing presentations that are essential for you to do an effective communication, whether you're on stage, one to one, in a small meeting? And these are Latin words. The first one is Logos. Logos. You can type that into the chat. Logos. L-O-G-O-S. And logos speaks to logic. The second word is pathos. Pathos. You can type that in the chat. P-A-T-H-O-S. Pathos, which talks about appealing to the emotion. And the last one is ethos. E-T-H-O-S. Ethos. See, they would have these senators and these politicians that would take the stage and they would go and present ideas, like whether it's a new policy, whether it's a new law, all these types of things. And these were the three pillars that they needed to have clarity on. And it would determine who will be passing the law and how do you communicate it in a way that is effective. And here's what it is when you speak about logos, logos is the one that I had the assumption or the presumption that this was all you needed to make a point so for example let's say we're all crossing a road and here in bali it's interesting because they have this road called the shortcut and for those of you who are in bali you definitely know what the shortcut is but it's the most damaged road ever and everybody's been screaming at having it repaired and then suddenly uh, let's say i wanted to do the repair and if i would say hey everybody we want to repair this road. It's going to cost X amount. We think it's going to make a lot of sense. Uh, Here's exactly how much it's going to cost, how much it's going to return. And you present all the data. And what happened is even when politicians would present ideas like this, people would not feel enrolled into the idea. The logic was there, but a lot was missing to actually make people make that decision. And I find this concept actually helps me understand, and it's so effective in sales as well. I teach this very often, which is You know we're actually emotional beings that will validate the data first with a lens of emotion and after with a lens of emotion. And it's almost like how our brain is wired. It's almost like every signal that comes in needs a a emotional filter that will make you look at the data with a skewed view. And then when it comes out, it'll still get emotionally processed. And then you'll see it again. An example of this and I'm going to use the thing that usually draws a lot of emotions. And it's going to touch on the pathos and the ethos at the same time. Uh, let's use something super polarizing, shall we? Let's go talk about, uh, do I pick vaccines? Do I pick politics? Do I pick, oh my God, global warming? What, what could I pick that's so polarizing? I think I'm going to pick politics because it's so binary right now. And it's so fun to pick on. And I'm not American. So, hey, I'm just going to go on it. Let's say um, we talk about a plan to accelerate. Actually, I'm going to combine both. This is going to be fantastic. I'm going to say, imagine that there's a plan to fight the pandemic and they want to create vaccines at record speed. And to be able to present, uh, to make this happen, there's going to be a budget set aside to fund a ton of companies that are going to develop this vaccine at the fastest pace. Now, I don't know or care on which side of the spectrum you are when it comes to your political leniency or your approval of vaccines, et cetera, but it doesn't matter. Here's what's interesting. If you are someone that leans into a certain group, such as Democrat, and this idea is being proposed by the Democrats, you would be more in favor of supporting it versus if you were more of the Republican and this was being proposed by a Republican, you would be more in favor of supporting it. But if a Democrat presents an idea and you're a Republican, you would be naturally more willing to reject it, look at the negatives. And so we start realizing, hey, wait a second, it's not just about how The idea is we always look at it through a lens. And those are the two lenses that actually make so much more persuasion happen. Now, the pathos one, the appeal to emotion. If I was talking about this shortcut, which is this row we all want fixed, I could tell the facts, I could talk about the logos, and I'm not denying that the logos is important. The logic foundation needs to be there. So whenever you do a presentation, whenever you try to communicate, ensure that you have decently researched and logic presenting your argument that will have a net outcome and that can be understood logically. That's almost like the baseline of every one of your communication, but it's not going to be the glue and it's not going to be the home run. It's just going to be the foundation and it's not enough. So again, I could present the facts and figures, but nobody is going to take action. When you talk about pathos, it's about how do you speak to people's emotions, right? And here would be an idea or an example of getting this row repaired where I wouldn't talk about the logos, the logic, I would speak to the emotions and it would use something like this. I could say, you know, the other day I was driving town with the shortcut and I couldn't find myself more shocked to realize that there were two people that had fell off the shortcut with their scooter and they were out in the mud and they were completely soaked There was one person, their leg was completely scratched and you could tell that they were in pain. We actually went to get the ambulance and then they actually got to go to the hospital and thank God, nobody got seriously injured. But this is something that happens time again. They were young people. They were just very young and already they started the year with an injury. The child that was sitting at the back of that scooter that also fell down was supposed to go to their first day of school and they missed it. And now they get to miss the first two weeks. And that's just because we have continuously delayed the repair of this shortcut. This road needs repair. And I'm tired of seeing people's lives being affected with the fact that they cannot even go to school with a road that decently gets them there without any troubles, without any accidents. And I think the people here deserve to at least have a safe way to get to their school so that we can actually support education for everybody. Who would be in to repair the shortcut? because I've made the budgets, they are being presented here, and we know that the effects are going to be great, and it's not actually going to pay for itself. Ooh, Once you start bringing emotions, ooh, hold on, have we seen this before? Who does the pathos more than anyone? Politicians. Again, this is a method from Aristotle. For politicians to move any kind of decision around any policy It's about the children. It's about the working class people. It's about equality. It's about doing the right thing. All of these words that I've just used are ways to talk to emotion. And the way you speak to emotions is using this little tool. Can anybody think of what is the tool that always gets to communicate stories? It's the most important pillar in any persuasive message, any presentation, anytime you communicate. People don't remember facts and figures. People remember. Can anyone fill the blank? Type it in the chat. I want to see who's going to be paying attention and who's going to be what do we look for in stories? And I'll give you a clue. Oh, never mind. We got Ana who got the answer. And we got Melanie who jumped in as well. It is stories. And it's about how you make them feel, right? That's actually, <laughs> people don't buy what you do, they buy for how you made them feel. But what I was looking for here is stories. Storytelling is the way you communicate the pathos, the emotions. So what are the stories that you can tell? And. Listen, whenever you want, if you listen to any interview, listen to any podcast, I could go like, I could have been here and I could have said, Hey everybody, I want you to know Aristotle wrote a work called the rhetoric. And he talks about the three elements for persuasion, which is logos appeal to the logic pathos appeal to the emotion and ethos appeal to credibility. So make sure you have facts, make sure you appeal to the emotion with stories. And of course, make sure that your source is credible because that credibility is everything. Um, Okay. Facts has been communicated. Will you retain it? No, but I think some of you are going to be thinking about a shortcut row with a little girl that fell into the ditch and missed first day of school because we remember through stories. Now I've done public speaking training and I'm going to divert from the book a little but talk about something important. Eric Edmeads. A lot of you are students of WildFit. A lot of you are students of his business blueprint as well. I went to take public speaking courses with him. And again, it's something that's being reinforced. Stories, stories, stories. Whenever we were prehistoric humans and we were actually sitting around a fire, the way that we learned to survive and grow is by telling each other hunting stories so we could learn that, hey, did you know that the tiger, if you actually brush some sand in its face first, it'll be dazzled for about two seconds and then you can take your spear and you can jab it. And so we start sharing these stories. We remember stories. We were designed to really resonate with stories. So again, the emotion is going to be so important to everything that you communicate. Make sense? The last one, the ethos. I kind of jumped the gun here because I kind of made that example with the Democrats and the Republican called the Joe Biden, the Donald Trump, but this is the ethos, right? This is the credibility. And this goes back to that example in high school when there was that popular guy he was good looking, he was an athlete, and he would just it wouldn't even make sense what he would do. He would just be in class and go, like, if hey, you do something stupid, and everyone would just giggle because he was that guy, he had that buzz, he had that flair. And I was like, What? I was fascinated. I was like, how does someone walk into a room and just not even speak nonsense? And, and, and still get reactions from people positively. And again, this is the ethos. And the message I want to give with that is your reputation and your credibility is a very, very important currency. I would not want you to discredit this because that is going to be one of the key things that actually allows you to communicate effectively. Let's talk about an example that's close to home. Let's talk about that time maybe that you're at work and you have a great idea and you share it. Boss doesn't listen. And then somebody else steals your idea, communicates it, and then you get mad. You resent that person. It sucks. Why does this happen? Well, is because that person for some reason had credibility. They had the ethos. And so the ethos, I feel like it's a word that means like the essence of someone. And so what you want to do is understand that all of the things that you can do to increase your credibility will make you more effective at communicating. So for example, why is it that when someone has PhD and we call them doctor, they come with more credibility. So titles get to be things that help you with credibility. Testimonials of the past work that you've done, having a social media presence. If we think about things that are relevant now, like when I look for guests to come on the show, I go to Instagram, I go to LinkedIn, I see how many followers they have. And I'm wondering okay, how much social proof can I see of how credible this is? I look for clues. I look for indicators. I look at how they're dressed. I look for anything that can give me some data to make me understand what kind of credibility they have. And the bigger the stakes, the more you need to be clear on what you take stances on. And so that's why you're going to see the big divides that happen between some of the bigger politicians, which some of them will choose an ethos stay to that ethos, appeal to a certain demographic, and might repel everyone else. But within their demographic, they will be a hero. Within everyone that is not their demographic, they will be a demon. And so your credibility, number one, the more you operate from trust, the more you operate from integrity, these are going to be the things that at least give you this foundation of trust, which is going to be the most important currency when it comes to delivering your content. So if someone that you have no idea who they are, and they just come and teach you a lesson about a scientific uh, paper, and, and they, they're not a doctor, they've never done research, they're just like, I was in my basement and I thought that these things were true, you would doubt the communicator. So who the messenger is makes a big impact. So always manage your reputation. And a clue that I would give or a tip I could give for the workplace is if you notice someone that actually has this credibility, make that person a powerful ally. And whenever you have powerful ideas, understand that if you are more dedicated to the success of that idea, that you would want to do best to align yourself with these credible people, because they're going to be the ones that will break down the barriers and move it forward. And you're going to want to ally yourself with these people, learn a few tricks along the way. And if you be able to borrow credibility in the process, to get fifty percent off, that's code Selling with Love fifty at FactorMeals dot slash Selling with Love fifty, and you'll get fifty percent off. Not bad. A fun example with this is if you're in business, you're an entrepreneur. What are the brands you can associate yourself with to actually boost your own ethos? A good example here is myself. I choose to speak on the mind Valley platform because there are some values that are very clearly communicated with mind Valley that I love and respect, and I know that by being on this platform boosts my own ethos. And so think about who do you associate yourself with and what platforms you want to be associated with so that you can actually have more credibility. We've probably seen these web pages, right where you see someone that has a book, already credibility, or has logos of places that they've spoken with or companies they're affiliated with, has been seen on stage like TEDx. Doing a TEDx talk is usually there. People don't get paid to do a TEDx, but it builds their ethos. Is this making sense? Right now, we just covered the three things from Aristotle's work, the rhetoric, the logos, the pathos, and the ethos. So when it comes to communicating, I know most of you said this is the first time you hear these three words, but here's the key things to remember. The logic is the foundation the stories is the glue and the ethos is going to make or break the message. And so if we go back to those you know, ancient times, people that would go and pitch ideas, there would always be a senator that would be very powerful. And everyone would try to get that person to approve because everyone looks for social signals. And so be aware of ethos. And I would say from today's world, where it's an attention economy, our attention is so low the ethos I feel personally is the one that is starting to matter more and more because people are getting lazier and lazier. We have so much content. We have so many places that our time could be used. You choose to spend your time to things that's the most important, and you're going to look clues, whether it's past experience, whether it's all the signals, the indicators, the headlines, What is it going to make it so that this is worth your time? And you're going to use your logos to go, okay, like for example, today you were looking, okay, how to communicate effectively with anyone, anywhere. How important is that? But then you probably looked at who the speakers were. And if I would have told you that the speaker was Jay Shetty, right? And then you're like, oh, Jay Shetty. I love Jay Shetty. This is ethos at play, right? So notice your own behaviors around how willing you're about to spend your time and why we idolize celebrities so much. I mean, we listen to Matthew McConaughey's opinion over a scientist just because of ethos, right? And so I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just telling you, I feel that this is actually the reality of what we're seeing right now. So I'm seeing some positive right now. Hey, this was a big part that I want to make sure to teach. I think it's a fantastic foundation for communication. And if you always keep this in mind, get your stories ready. Make sure you have your facts and figures, and then you're going to be able to work on your own reputation. Now, I wanted to talk about something else talked about in the book, how to communicate effectively with anyone, anywhere. But first, let's take a fun moment to all take a breath because we're moving fast. And I'm hoping you're enjoying this pace because I certainly do. So from here, you can take a deep breath from the nose. And Everyone around you thinks you're strange, but I'm alone in my house, so that's not a problem. So now I want to go to the second part, which is actually what is your emotion going into it? And this, I think, was a was something that aligns very close to my own methodologies, which I talk about, which is selling with love. But any person here who is nervous at communicating, from one to 10, let's say 10, you're paralyzed, one, you are cool as a cucumber. Where would you rate yourself when it comes to how nervous you are about communicating in general, whether it's doing a presentation to a small group, an audience, having a uh, a conversation with your boss? And just throw a number in the chat. I just want to see what's going on here. Because you know I know there's some 10s on there. And if you are a 10, I just want to first acknowledge the, the transparency, the vulnerability, because it's not fun to put a 10. But if you acknowledge it, that's already a huge step because you realize, okay, something's here, but you can also acknowledge that it could get better. And I'm seeing here, we have some ranges, but a few of you here are at the nines. And I think this message is going to be really key because when you go to communicate, right, it seems like there's a lot of pressure and we actually internalize this nervousness. We actually focus very inward. We're inwardly focused into this like death spiral of nervousness, because you're like, what if I mess up? What if I don't do this? Right. What if I do this, 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 what if I, what if I, what if I, what if I, do you notice that when you're very nervous, it's always about I and what they speak about in this book is actually just having a different mindset about the way you communicate, which I think is brilliant. And it's actually the more you focus outward, the less you're gonna be focused inward on your own nervousness. And so if you want to take a mindset or maybe a bit of a, a kind of affirmation whenever you go to communicate, go with the idea that it is always service first. And they use the example that when you are communicating When you are delivering a message, it's usually an idea that you want to propose. There's something you want the other person to receive. And they use the example of passing the torch, right? You're in the Olympics and you're given this role to carry the torch and to pass it on to the next person. And this is a bit of the same mindset that they suggest for you to have whenever you're communicating. You are simply there to go with an emotion of service. You're looking to serve whoever you're communicating with a different idea, a different perspective. But if you're coming out with this idea of service first at your emotional level, it takes away the nervousness around what if I, what if I, because as long as your intention is set on service, then at least you're going to be communicating clearly. And you're going to understand what is the most important thing that needs to be communicated. You've already learned some great frameworks, so you know you can deliver something. And you have to also acknowledge that no talk is going to be perfect. But if you're understanding that you're coming from that emotion of service first, you're going to see that this calms the nerves a lot. I want to substantiate this with a little more of uh, what I've learned with Eric Edmonds when it comes to public speaking, which is, and I've actually, it's not just Eric. I feel like one out of five public speaker trainers, if not one out of two, share a bit of this example. And I bet some of you have heard this before, but when it comes to being nervous, what are some of the kind of, physiological traits that happen. Like for any of you who are tens, nines, eights, when you get nervous, what happens physiologically? Like you're on stage there. You haven't started talking yet. You're about to start speaking and there's 500 people in the audience. And the moment before you start speaking, what are some physiological things that are happening to your body? What? Type it in the chat. Give me some ideas of what's going on. Are Are we are we just there? Is our is our heart rate low? Um, oh, we got hot flashes, right? Like turning red. Okay. Your breath, you're breathing heavy, right? The mouth is dry. The hands tremble. Okay. You're sweating. Okay. I like this. This is what I want. We got knees knocking. All right. So this is all different. Like you're describing nervousness, right? Now, Melanie, you're saying trip on words, but we haven't started speaking. So let me ask this question. If you were excited, Can you tell me how you would describe the physiological response of you being excited? What does that look like? Type that in. We're not speaking yet. I'm just saying we're standing on stage, but what are we looking at when we're excited? When you're excited, you're going to be shaking a little. Your heart rate will be fast. You might be sweating. And here's the thing. Nervousness and excitement have the same physiological responses on you. The only difference is when you're nervous, you're projecting a negative outcome out of the situation. And when you're excited, you're projecting a positive outcome on the situation. So if you're standing in front of a roller coaster, and I've done this before where I'm with a partner, we're going on a roller coaster. They are terrified and nervous. I am excited and ecstatic. And we're having the same response. We're both like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." and then the only difference is that they expect that the roller coaster is going to crash and I'm expecting to have the time of my life. And so- Here's another thing that I might suggest. And this is a a personal one to me because I was that person who would like, look how white and pale I am. Can you imagine what happens when I get nervous and turn red? I turn like a lobster being boiled up. Okay. It's embarrassing. I used to be the one who almost felt like passing out when I had to do public speaking. I had one of my talks that was so bad in university. I had to hold a piece of paper and there's nothing worse than holding a piece of paper when you're nervous and you need to talk because that thing makes noise and it starts shaking. And then you're hearing it. And the more you're hearing it, the more you're nervous and the louder it gets. And everybody's watching you cringing at the sight of you just being there breaking into pieces. And that was me. And what happened at that talk is I ended up taking a moment, turning around my back to the audience, taking a deep breath, turning back around and starting again from the beginning, which followed was a pretty bad talk, but at least I got through it. But I remember I had a mindset that told myself, I'm going to change this. This was so embarrassing. I wanted to change this. And it's very funny how there's a lot of public speakers that are out there. that usually have a story about how they were terrible speakers, and then they became great at it. And it's, I think, because when you get that bad at public speaking, you have the urgency to change it. And then once you have that, you realize it actually doesn't take much to get good. That's That was the most surprising thing. It doesn't take that much to get better. Because what I ended up using was affirmations, which I didn't know it was called that, but I remember just tricking myself that I love public speaking. I'm great at it. I was telling everybody in a group, put me in your group. I'm great at public speaking. I'll be able to help everybody. And the key was I didn't need to write the project because they would nominate me to be the speaker. And so they said, we'll take care of the project. We'll do all the research, all the writing. You just go out there and speak. And I was like, yeah, I'm great. And deep down, I was like, oh my God, I'm freaking out, but didn't matter. I just kept doing it, kept practicing. And then eventually I got better. And now look, I do it for a living. It's weird, right? So just keep in mind that If you go with a service first approach, which again, you're just going in there saying that I'm just here to deliver the torch. And if you want to use affirmations, if you want to lie to yourself for a while, just to force yourself to practice more because practice makes progress. If we're fans of Jim quick, right? Uh, Practice makes progress. And that's what happened. I ended up doing enough presentations that I got good at it and I just charged into it. Right. For those of you who might be fans of habits of ferocity, whenever a runner sees an uphill, what do they do? They start running faster. So whenever I had a challenge of a public speak, I just you know take it on, do it. And I would watch myself on video too, so I could improve, but those are some advanced techniques. That being said, I would just go out there and do it. If you have the service first approach, your emotions are going to be in a much better place. So that was another big thing that was being shared in this book. I'm gonna to skip to the last one because I feel the there was another part where they say the two major things about how you do a presentation is about there's content and there's delivery. Like what is being said and how are you saying it? Super important, right? Because I could come here and say like. Hey, everybody, we're going to be talking about content and delivery. And the content that I'm going to tell you is going to be very good. And you're going to really like it. And it's going to be a fantastic every single word that I'm going to use is going to be perfect. And it's going to communicate exactly what you need to hear. But if I keep delivering it with the same tone of voice, and that I keep talking like this, you're probably going to tune out, you're probably going to wonder what's going on. And you're going to log off after five minutes. Minutes, but I'm looking at the number of people here, and it sounds like we doubled since we started. So it might not be doing a bad job by having my voice go to different levels to deliver it in a way that engages people and is not so boring. Now, I didn't go deep into their content about content and delivery, but what I would say is the content again will be your stories and your facts, right? Because the facts and the points you want to make are going to be the key of the logos, and you're going to have your stories are going to be the key of the pathos. And so how do you deliver it, right? the, the the tones you can use the the pacing you can use uh it helps to have a microphone like this by the way because it just captures brilliantly and if anybody wants to know what microphones i use or camera i use to do that just let me know um or you can just find me on instagram uh, and just say like i want to know what you're using it's jason mark campbell just go and send me a message and uh, i will send you i have this document that tells you all the equipment i use if ever you'd want to have a setup like this but that's just if you're a geek like me but i will say this this is actually again i'm going to pull from eric ed i'm giving him a lot of love today and uh, but he's been one of the greatest mentors for me when it comes to public speaking it's uh, his style is on point and, uh, they speak about some NLP techniques. And I would tell you to go and listen to any of his talks on YouTube, just Google Eric Ed public speaking. The first videos, I think there's one that's an interview between me and him that goes over these points, even more details, more specific to public speaking, but there's three things that I think are really important, which is the, the, um, kinesthetic, the auditory and the visual. And it goes like this. Whenever you start a presentation. You can always do a presentation starting at the kinesthetic level. And this is when you take your time, you include pauses, and it draws people in to pay attention. And the moment you've started to use kinesthetic, you can actually move up to something that's going to be more like auditory. And so when you go auditory, there's more of a rhythm and a pace to the way that you deliver, so that it actually has this rhythm that gets people kind of bouncing their heads going, yeah, this makes sense. And then if you really want to turn things a notch, you can go all the way to the Tony Robbins level, right? When he's doing big noises, big movements, and he's talking really loud, usually really fast too. And it gets you excited and you're like, holy, this is like stuff I need to pay attention to. And once you've went and made a big point out of explaining these three different types, you can take a moment to drop people back into the kinesthetic. And that is the crescendo and the cycle of keeping people engaged in your delivery. So I've been doing it subconsciously throughout this presentation, but key things to remember is this, there's three major levels of communication and people have a preference for each. Some of you love the kinesthetic. Some of you love the visuals. Some of you love the auditory. I'm personally someone that prefers the auditory, but if you start kinesthetic is always best because if you start visuals, it's too much, too fast. And so you can always start your presentations with a pause and start slowly. And then you can build it up to auditory, which anybody who is auditory is going to finally pick up because they probably didn't even notice when you got started. And then you can work all the way to visual. And this is going to be a thing that you can stretch and, and train in your presentation is you're going to find what your level is and you're probably going to be comfortable there. So you need to push outside of your comfort zone to be able to get to the extremes of the levels. and The key thing is this you have a preference in your communication style, but the three major ones are that kinesthetic, auditory, and visual. Think low, medium, and high. And for me, like going high actually requires me, it's not, it doesn't feel natural to me. I have to force it, but I'll get into character and I almost feel like I jump into my inner Tony Robbins with a big, big voice and really getting into it. But I know that I can do that and I should do that because it draws people's attention. And as I mentioned, The content is not the only thing. The delivery is hyper important, okay? This is a quick tool that you can use to be able to mix up your presentations. And I think it's a powerful one that you can start with. So I wanted to touch on this. The last element is one that I wasn't able to go too deep into. It was talking about high context and low context communication styles. This one, I wish I could spend a bit more time, but unfortunately I don't feel like I'm as expert on this and I wasn't able to find as much data, but what they were talking about is in most Eastern culture, there's usually a preference for what they call high context communication styles. And what that means is that there's a focus on multiple sources of information. So if you're communicating, whether it's in Southeast Asia, the biggest takeaway that I got from here was that when you're speaking to whether it be Eastern cultures, whether it's Indian, Asian, etc., usually high context is preferred. Which means if you are going to present some fact, you should be taking time to present multiple sources, multiple uh, dimensions of the same problem, so that it actually gets to be retained better. And you will be more respected whenever you can provide multiple sources that support the same argument. Versus in Western style cultures, that would be regarded as a waste of time, and they want low context. That's why it's it's interesting. I I definitely am a low context type of presenter. I'm Canadian, but I feel like I have more of American style of of speaking. But if you notice, they usually don't spend a lot of time on on going through the facts, right? They assume the facts and they'll speak to the stories and they'll just blow past the research very quickly. And it works very well in North American audiences. In any other Western countries, but in Eastern countries that would be looked at with skepticism because you don't present credibility, you don't present uh, seniority. And so the ethos is looked at differently. Remember the ethos, which were those, that credibility of the person in Western cultures. It's like the more somebody communicates with confidence without pulling very many references or sources, you will find them more trustable. Versus the opposite effect will happen in Eastern cultures. And in Eastern cultures, if you show that you are a doctor and then you present facts and facts and facts and facts, and there's a lot more emphasis on logos, then you're actually going to be respected and listened to. And it takes a lot more warming up to. So that was the big statement that I just wanted to pull from that book. And as I mentioned, there was a very interesting image that was being shared in this book and it's basically just the structure of the presentation that they talk about in the book. So you can see the source of it there. It's basically the hourglass speech canvas, but it speaks about any presentation you do. You want to make sure you do a powerful introduction, which is leading with a hook and speaking about the main message. And then within the body, you will do all your supporting content, interactive elements. And at the end, you do a restatement of the main message and the future implications. So this is just how you always do your presentations. This image is how you can represent this. They go much deeper into the book. But what I would say is if you've noticed the way I've started this conversation is I all had an important message about how it was fantastic to be able to learn communication. I knew I'd be able to deliver something of value for everybody here. So I start with explaining the hook was to get everybody excited about learning about public speaking, about communication. And it seemed like everybody was hyped up. So I led with a hook. And then I told you what we were going to cover, the main messages that we were going to go into. And then you saw I went through the presentation supporting all the content. I went and did some interactions and I made sure to go into everything you needed to learn. And now as I'm going through this, I'm actually restating the main message because we went through the pathos, the ethos, and the logos, why those three main elements were so important. We also talked about why if you lead from service first, you're going to see that your emotions are going to be in a much better place when you come to speak publicly. And of course, remember that Being nervous and being excited is the same thing. If you can reframe your outcome of what's going to happen from when you communicate to a positive experience, you're going to see that you can go through it with much better results and you're going to get better over time. I spoke about the content and delivery so that you've done all the content, but the way you deliver, you can use this method that I learned from Eric, which is about the kinesthetic, the auditory, and the visual, and it'll allow you to bring more dynamism into. Your presentations, of course, I finished with talking about how to bring more context or less context based on which culture you're speaking to. And that was the core of the message. What I do want to leave you with, which is the future implications, is that when it comes to a journey of public speaking, first off, for those of you who know me, I am writing a book which is called Selling with Love. And one of my definitions of selling is it's an energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, love is the emotion that fills the gap. And said differently using what we've learned today is that you could say that communication can be substituted with selling. I think every communication is a sale because you're channeling an idea and you're getting people to understand what you're communicating. But I'll tell you, the more you spend improving your communication, I'm going to quote Lisa Nichols for you fans out there, what stands between you and everything you want in your life is your ability to communicate. Lisa Nichols says that, and when you learn these concepts and you continue to be curious, to be excited about concepts that teach you how to sell better, we teach you how to communicate better on a one-to-one, small group, presentations, talking to your boss, talking to your employees, talking to someone on the same level as you, all of those, the moment you improve this, you will improve the quality of your life because our life is filled with relationships and whether it's business or personal, it is the most important skill that you can develop. So I am hoping, And I am trusting that we had a good time today. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling With Love podcast.